me. So I'm just alone on a dirt track in the middle of the jungle and I hear two shots. The soldiers jump into action. They're off the back of the uh, pickup and they're, they're running out into the forest and they're bang, bang, fighting back. And I'm going, okay, I'm feeling a bit vulnerable here. What do I do? Hey guys, welcome back to When It Hits The Fan, the podcast where we delve into what really happens when things go wrong on the road. Brought to you by Battleface, the tough face of travel insurance. Now, I'm partial to the odd bike ride, but today's guest has spent so long in the saddle, it's practically a second home. Melbourne native Kate Leeming is perhaps best known for completing a 22,000 kilometer cycle ride across Africa from Senegal in the West to Somalia in the East, becoming the first person to do so. Breaking the cycle, as the 10-month expedition was known, tested her both physically and mentally as she traversed the sometimes punishing terrain of Central Africa in order to raise awareness of development needs across the region. Although particularly challenging, breaking the cycle was far from the only world first Kate has racked up. Uh, among her other achievements are becoming the first woman to cycle unsupported across Russia as part of the Trans-Siberian Cycle Expedition, and the 25,000 kilometer Great Australian Cycle Expedition, which included the first bicycle crossing of the Canning Stock Route by a woman. Kate's got some amazing projects in the works, uh, so we'll include her details in the description uh, if you want to find out more about those. But that's enough from me. Let's hear from the woman herself. Kate, uh, it's so nice to finally speak to you. Lovely to speak to you too, Jack. And uh, I've been watching some of these other podcasts, so it's great to have a go myself. And oh, brilliant. And I've, I've just noticed as well, you've got uh, one of your, is this an expedition bike you've got in the background here? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can't fit them all in my house, actually. So, but that one has a really special story because it's the first bike to ever have traveled, cycled in Northeast Greenland. Uh, it's an all-wheel drive fat bike, basically, um, the second of its kind. Uh, and then the second thing it did was I cycled on it down Australia's Fink River, which is the world's oldest river, or part of it is, in central Australia. So that was no roads we're talking about, just going down like the, the, the sand of the river and the animal tracks along the side. Um, so that was amazing journey. And then it's also the first ever been... It was the bike I rode for the first ever journey down Namibia's entire coastline. So from the Angolan border, right the way through the skeleton coast, all the way down to the South African border. So which, which was also a world first, as, as I understand it. Is that right? Yes. Actually, all three of them are world first. So it's my lucky bike. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but as I understand it, then the incident you're going to tell us about today was, was part of uh, breaking the cycle expedition, which is perhaps the, the expedition that you're... you're um, most well known for is that right i think so jack is it's sort of it's not the longest in distance but it's it's certainly the most difficult and complex and the longest in time i think so uh, breaking the cycle in africa uh, was from the most africa's most uh, westerly tip in senegal to its most easterly tip in uh, puntland in somalia so it's through 20 different countries and you know it was life-changing it was the most amazing expedition just the chance to be able to cross this amazing continent the most diverse continent on earth and to do 22,000 kilometers 20 different countries and just you know there's so many different people so many different experiences 
I was also exploring the causes and effects of extreme poverty. So I was visiting lots of different projects and getting a real, a really grounded story of the real Africa, you know, um, that was, and cycling really does that as well. So, you know, that, that's, I guess, how this story that I'm about to tell you comes into it. So, um, so the 10th country that I was cycling in was uh, the Republic of Congo. Uh, so formerly uh, Congo Brazzaville for some people mm -hmm. and I was traveling um, so I just come across the border not the main border an inland border and I was visiting a, a resource company that I had a connection with and then they were from then on they had connections with the government and because back in 2003 the civil war ended and but there were still like security risks going through there and and there was a lot of negotiations as I went through that part of the Congo to get to Brazzaville, which is the capital. I think it's about 600 kilometers or so um, from the border to get in there. And so firstly, they sent us like a, a, a security guard. So he was a military man with a military uniform sitting in the support vehicle with an AK-47 out the window. And I was just cycling along with that. And then after the 300 kilometers, we got to this city called Delisi. And then that he was, he's finished his journey and then um, uh, we had a plainclothes inspector and he had like mobile phones and everything with all, you know, constantly getting in touch with whomever, his superiors, you know, updating where we were and going through a couple more days like that. And this was through mud already, like, like the main road across the country is, is, is still mud. <laughs> and, and so I, I had a very dirty, you know, filthy time on the bike, in fact, dra dragging the bike through mud. Um, then that got rammed up again to getting, having to get two um, more military people in the vehicle. So two, and then we're approaching just outside of Brazzaville, it's pretty, or essentially just outside, it's the pool region. And um, that's the most dodgy region. And it's, uh, it's where the ninja rebels still inhabit. And it's sort of really their remnants of the civil war. And they're not really that powerful, but they, they still would cost the people try to get tax, which is i.e. If, if I was trying to go through there alone, if I was allowed at all, which is unlikely, they would have been stopping me, asking me for a lot of money. Um, uh, anyway, the government or, or the local military man decided that we needed a lot of protection through there. And so the village before Manduli, uh, through this, this last region we had to go through, um, he said, okay, just, just you, you go ahead and, and we'll catch you up leaving the town in the morning. So I go out the town through this muddy, along this muddy track and all of a sudden this, this pickup with like, I think it was, there were eight soldiers on the back with rocket launchers and AK-47s and I'm going, okay, this, they, they really do mean business. It was like a, a 65 kilometer section of the road. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I was just like, they were ahead of me. And then it was just me on the bike and then behind the support vehicle. And, uh, there were lots of big mud patches in the road. We we're actually passed by a ninja rebel. Well, the inspector knew it was a Ninja Rebel. I didn't know on the bike it was a Ninja Rebel in this like Mad Max type of vehicle. And um, we stopped and um, someone had fallen off in the mud. So the Ninja Rebel and my colleague went out and worked together to pick the, the guy's motorbike up. <laughs> so, and then got back in. Then 
but we think that that was the time that he might have been able to phone ahead and say there's a there's a woman coming through on a bicycle i don't know um we continue on and i said i'm not allowed to stop but it was exactly my 10,000th kilometer in the whole journey and uh it's quite a momentous you know thing to tick over 10,000 kilometers sure first to stop you know just for taking photographs anywhere but i just had to pull my little little camera out and i was just about to snap snap the shot and suddenly there were two shots out of the jungle just bang bang and i just jumped <laughs> i blurred my shot <laughs> um and and you know basically the way it was you know there was the soldiers that were maybe a couple of hundred meters in front of me at least me and then the support vehicle i don't know they could have been 50 100 meters behind me so i'm just alone on a dirt track in the middle of the jungle and i hear two shots the soldiers jump into action they're off the back of the uh, pickup and they're they're running out into the forest and they're bang bang fighting back and i'm going okay i'm feeling a bit vulnerable here what do i do so i could see a little pile of dirt just to the side of the road and you know I sort of sidled across to the pile of dirt thinking that's the only cover I've got <laughs> but you know it's obviously not going to really do anything um, and basically there's a bit of a skirmish and I'm sitting there just hanging tight there's just nothing else I can do but I did actually work out they weren't actually shooting at me they were shooting at the vehicle um, but I, you know who knows where this was going to go is that but, the, the, your support vehicle they were shooting at or the, or the military? No, yeah. the military. They yeah. were shooting at the soldiers because the soldiers, what I believe now is the soldiers had come through and they were protecting me and therefore they couldn't ask me for money, couldn't ask for their tax, whatever that's going mm -hmm. to be. That's, that's probably what it was. Um, but anyway, that you know, they were, if we'd gone through without that for some reason, if we were allowed to, who knows? There might not have been any shooting, but it might have been pretty costly. I, I just don't know. They could have, you know, could have been kidnapped. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, so just after that, you know, there's after the skirmish, and I thought everything was still going on, and suddenly there's the even the soldiers went back in the vehicle, and he said, and the the commander just like waved me through and said, "Come through. You're okay now." <laughs> I'm like what? <laughs> and I'm sort of like pretty shaky here, and just like having just having to go into that fight or flight situation, all that feeling, and just. So I had to go straight past, cycle past the other vehicle, the support vehicle. I think they're probably more scared than me. I'm not sure, but they came past too. And that's how it was for, for the rest of the journey. Every time we stopped anywhere, they'd go ahead, they'll secure the area. And I tell you, I, I got to the, the tarmac in pretty quick time, <laughs> much faster. <laughs> um, and then after that, it was, you know, pretty nerd, you know, that was the main bit for the military. Then there was like, a Chinese road for about another 60 kilometers and I got into the edge of Brazzaville and then it was absolutely surreal. I was accosted by like all this paparazzi and asking me questions. And I actually had a whole, like the government had organized a whole um, uh, escort all the way through Brazzaville. They stopped the traffic. So I was like the Tour de France. So suddenly <laughs> from being shot and I'm covered, I'm still covered in mud like smiling and these people waving like <laughs> and i've just been shot at <laughs> i'm just like what is this you know but uh, you know it was it was amazing uh finish and the strange thing when i did get to speak to the government minister he said look we just wanted to show the whole of brazzaville what women can do and i thought that was cool but 
I couldn't tell them about the shooting incident because the government wouldn't like that. Too it was much. it wouldn't be great PR at the time, I no, think. Uh, no, so <laughs> hold, hold my tongue and just, but I was just like one of the most surreal days I've ever had. I, I must say. So, so how long yeah. did it take you to kind of you know for for your nerves to sort of calm down and to just to go right? Okay, <laughs> let's just get back into the swing of things after that incident. Well, I think that you know when I was after the actual shooting, by the time I was sort of moving on, I would mean. Yeah, I was, I was on a you know high. Then I was just like, okay, we've just got to get through here, keep steady. But absolutely, my heart was pounding much more. But by the time we got, I guess by the time we got through the barriers at the other end and out to where the tarmac is to the next town called Kinkala, um, that was probably then we said goodbye to the soldiers. Yeah, the nerves were. I was okay, but but certainly, as I say, I, I can tell you my my pace. I really up my pace going through there. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, so you've um, mentioned in these um, chaperones. Um, how was this uh, organized? What kind of prep went in um, to this expedition beforehand? How were you able to get in contact with you know people in the various countries that you you passed through in order to ensure your safety? Yes, uh, that's a very good question because you know um, one of the things that worked really well was that I'd connected with. Australian resource companies who had interests in Africa and on my route and and so some of them were small sponsors but the really key thing for security was that they were already will, really well engaged with the governments of those regions uh, they had their Mr Fixit people who could you know help make the big getting, getting visas and things securely we could always get advice about security up ahead and where the dangerous spots were and then often they'd actually work out okay therefore you need the security here so that actually helped with the security um so that is exactly what happened in the republic of congo you know it wasn't a big sponsor but i had a base in the north uh, when i came through from gabon and i stopped there and they showed us around and it was amazing getting shown around that that region and meeting some of the local people um even i think i, I got to meet the the brother of one of the uh, leaders of that um the, the civil war so I actually got to meet these people um, which was interesting and, and, and see the normal people like everyone else who's just pushes through that and, and, and you know it was such a rich experience in so many ways but as far as the security went that's how that that part was organized is because I'd made connections earlier and you know I also got through right through Somalia you can't go into Somalia on a bicycle that you know, you, you cannot, you, they will not let you in. But because of some connections that I've made even before I came there, I'm actually connected with the Puntland government, which is like a state of Somalia where the most easterly tip of um, Somalia or Africa is. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I had therefore a network of connections and I was 100% uh, protected by the government. But still there was a civil war going on and I was cycling straight through it basically, you know, with bulletproof vehicles. <laughs> so it was kind of like, I think that, you know, by getting out and doing these things and, and, and creating this energy and this idea of doing this journey in a continuous line, you pull good people in. People, people are generally good. It's just, it's just, you know, sometimes people may not understand. So you just have to have a plan. Same with going right across the Sahel region. You know, I didn't go, you know, I went you know, from Senegal right through Mauritania and Mali, you know, all the way up to Timbuktu in places like these are red zones. If you look at 
um, the um, insurance maps, that would be red zones, don't go there. You know, the Australian government, the British government, the, 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 the US government, you could not get help there. So here I am cycling through. So I've got local connections. I've developed a network, you know, even to go up to Timbuktu, you know, I had Tuareg advisors to, because it wasn't, you know, you know, we had to camp, we don't camp, we wouldn't camp by the road or anything like that. We'd camp where no one would see us. We'd turn the lights out if a vehicle went through. It, there's a lot of common sense things, but mm -hmm. you know, another place it went through, you know, um, uh, the northeast of Nigeria where Boko Haram is. And uh, it just happened to be a time when the leader had been uh, shot and there was a little window uh, to get through, but we had advice before and we just, a bit of common sense, you know, when we did have to camp a camp right near the, the border guards, they were gonna, you know, look look after us. So um, I managed to get help where I could, same in Mauritania, same in quite a few other places in Ethiopia. Um, so we always employed locals and got local advice, which is also a really, well, Wherever you go in the world, you should always be getting local advice. So you do a lot of research, try to make connections so that going through, you can reduce those risks. Um, and it seemed to work because I managed to cross Africa. So it's 22,040 kilometers. I arrived four days ahead of schedule after 10 months through 20 different countries, including stuff like that, but just kept that momentum going and kept steady and, and found the right solutions. Um, occasionally adapted, but but always it was a continuous line. So, yeah. Sure, and and of course, you know, this incident, as frightening as I'm sure it was at the time, was only a small part of what was an absolutely mammoth ten-month journey of, you know, as you say, twenty-two thousand and forty kilometers. If people want to find out more about this journey or any of the other record-breaking uh, cycle expeditions you've done, what where's the best place to to do that, Kate? Well, I'd say that if, if you would like to read about that story in more detail, because there's, there's actually, that was just a very, you know, quick, quick idea. I've, I did write a book called Njinga, um, and um, that's available on my website, kateleeming.com. So if you just go to, I mean, it's actually, I have two URLs, but just if you type in kateleeming.com, you'll get mm -hmm. there. Um, I've written another book. I've, there's a lot of, films because I you know I've, I've done a lot of different things right now is a very exciting time for me because um, we're making our first tv series a global tv series uh, called diamonds in the sand which is about the very first uh, journey um, bicycle journey down Namibia's entire coastline the skeleton coast so from the mouth of the uh, Kadena river on the Angolan border all the way to the mouth of the orange river which is on the south african border so mm -hmm. it's uh, just over 1600 kilometers which is a thousand miles um and you know it, it hadn't been done before and certainly not on a bike and certainly not into the wind <laughs> um, um but you know there are a different set of issues to deal with as far as security goes there um but it was just so we, we, you know we're making this film uh so we made a film but now we're making a series that's that should be out soon so I'm very Fantastic. Excited. Well, yeah, we will put those details in the description below. So if people do want to check out your website or uh, any of the books uh, that you've written or, you know, upcoming uh, films, then they can do that. And of course, we will be paying close attention for, you know, to, to future expeditions uh, by yourself, Kate, because uh, we're always interested to hear about them. 
Yeah, yeah. So next up, Jack. Well, I'm doing one across Australia coming up in May. So you know, being in Australia, we actually can't leave the country right now. Sure. So, so. Um, uh, but at, my country is is awesome. I actually have cycled extensively. I did a twenty-five thousand kilometer journey through it, but. I'm doing a quite a different journey crossing right through the center from the most easterly tip, which is Cape Byron, which is very far north of New South Wales, right across to Steep Point, which is at the edge of the most westerly tip of the country, which is in Shark Bay, um, if you look in Western Australia. So it's kind of mm -hmm. it's about 6,000 kilometers, but I'm also going through deserts, you know, um, the Simpson Desert, you know, there's, a, there's a, the track I'm planning to go, you know, it's more than 600 sand dunes. I mean, we're talking, you know, it's quite a thing to, to put together as well. So there's that, and very much so, I'm still planning to cycle across Antarctica. Which is, oh, wow, which is amazing. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing more about both of those. Um, but until then, Kate, uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Jack. It's been a lot of fun. Brilliant. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Guys, that's all we've got time for uh, this episode. As always, uh, if you want to hear about the latest episodes we've got coming out, then subscribe. Uh, we'd love a like or a positive review on wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast. Uh, but until then, goodbye. <laughs>